Hi, this is Amanda from Pennsylvania. Dusted is a story wonk podcast. To show your support and for exclusive content, visit patreon.com slash storywonk. Thanks. And welcome to the show. I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and this is Dusted. You're feeling all the feels, Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. <laughs> feeling all the feels, needing all the tissues, closing all the eyes. Oh, this hush. Yes, I will remember you. The eighth <laughs> episode of the first season of Angel and absolutely standout landmark one shot episode mm-hmm. of Angel. There's going to be, I'm sure, some emotional discussion over the course of the next hour here oh, on sure. Dusted. Lonnie, why don't you set this up for us? Tell us a little about our writer and director team. All right. Well, this was written by uh, co-creator David Greenwald and uh, newbie Janine Renshaw. This is mm-hmm. the first episode of four that she will write for Angel. Um, and I have to say, kind of hard to top this one. Uh, <laughs> directed by David Grossman, who is also new to Angel at this point. This is his first episode. Who manages to yeah. do a fantastic job. No, very nicely done. Yes. Really really mm-hmm. well directed episode and a packed episode yeah this is the rarest of beasts this is a very strange and unusual creature in the buffy canon because this is the one shot episode that i kind of wish was a two-parter oh god and that's almost never true <laughs> well it kind of is i mean you have to think about this as a companion piece to pangs because pangs aired on that night right before this episode so if mm-hmm. you watched it you watched pangs and then you watched i will remember you right afterward and pangs was kind of funny and silly and not very deeply emotional but it had some of those moments and then we move into i will remember you which is just killing me everything turned up to yeah. 11 there are also i think going to be some interesting you know thematic points that we can discuss at the end of the episode certainly this is not an uncomplicated episode if we consider mm-hmm. its position in the canon in yeah. the buffy verse canon we'll talk about that i guess at the end of the show we begin though with angel winding an antique clock and setting it on his desk cordelia and doyle watch from outside and discuss the recent trip to sunnydale and the inevitable emotional fallout we're all looking forward to when angel pulls out a stake they rush in to prevent his suicide but he simply uses the stake to level his desk he's really doing okay pinky swear though i think osha would have a thing or two to say about using a stake that it doesn't seem terribly on the stable. floor of his workplace yes. seems like it's probably in contravention of some building code or other. Exactly. Well, especially Vampire OSHA. This is what I'm saying. Which I think strongly recommends that there are no stakes in your workplace at all. Also, yeah. no pencils. Sure. O- only pens allowed in a vampire <laughs> office. Thanks very much. Cordelia frames the argument that there's emotional damage just around the corner. And Buffy arrives to pick up the conclusion of that argument, and we cut to credits after Pangs, which also had a very brief and punchy cold open. This one is perhaps even punchier. It's the best cold open that Angel has seen to date, so... (laughs) Yes, though, faint praise, Right, everybody benefits from a low bar, sure. After the credits, Buffy tells us that she has shown up in L.A. to see Hank, and if you are a Hank Summers fan... And I guess statistically there must be one of you out there. (laughs) Enjoy this reference to Buffy's father. He shall not be mentioned again in the course of this episode. The conversation in the office is, of course, relaxed and cheerful. Cordelia introduces Doyle and all but drags him from the room, leaving Buffy and Angel to talk. Buffy demands an explanation, but Angel insists on explaining it. What's the word? Like a (laughs) grown-up? Buffy tells him that she's not in high school anymore and that a lot has happened. But as you said, we all just watched Pangs. Yeah. And now here Buffy is in L.A., but is apparently also five years older. She just feels so much more mature. I think there's something about the the style and tone of Angel as a TV series that just makes it feel more. I'm not in high school anymore. A lot of things have happened in my life in the four months since you've been gone. In the four months, exactly. Like, no kidding. Maybe there is some kind of weird, I don't know, time lensing effect. There may be something the that the Hellmouth does, sure. At that moment, a sword-wielding demon bursts through the window, and like all sword-wielding demons, opens up his attack by kicking Angel. They battle. Buffy disarms the demon. Angel retrieves the sword and impales the demon who bleeds demonic blood. It runs, and they set off in pursuit, venturing into the sewers armed with a stake and with a giant axe. 
Buffy wants to settle the score and would rather not be in Angel's debt after the battle against Huss and the Shumash warriors back in Sunnydale. <laughs> a fairly swift and punchy opening. Oh god, it's already. I mean, because I know what's coming. Every little moment is heartbreaking. There's this uh the the line that Buffy has given enough time we should be able to and then Angel finishes it with forget, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's it's nicely done in that moment we have him winding up the clock which we visit and revisit and revisit time as a concept yeah. throughout this entire episode which I think is wonderful. Um and then it's just it's just nice. And then, of course, you know, they're in the sewers having a deep talk again, which is where they <laughs> yes. always have, you know, so their... What more romantic spot could there be? Their big discussion. Uh, we, once you really explored small town sewers, yes. the only thing you can do to keep your relationship fresh and exciting is, is move, move on, on to, to big the big city, city sewers. sewers. <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And perhaps it is a testament to the success of this script that this opening works so naturally and so organically. It yeah. doesn't actually feel in its first movement terribly contrived it Mm -hmm. doesn't feel like we're setting up shots for later yeah it feels like this is a completely organic and naturalistic conversation for these two people to be having and it is heartbreaking though i have to say through the first act of the story buffy is kind of terrible i don't know i mean i i think that she's i understand where she's coming from i appreciate that she's hurt i Mm -hmm. appreciate that she's struggling with this But Angel's hurt Mm -hmm. and struggling with this, too. And when he explains it, he explains it very clearly, very rationally. Mm -hmm. He takes every opportunity to, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think absolutely empathize with her and and show that he's in the same space that she's in. She takes every opportunity to, it seems, deliberately misunderstand what he's saying or, or, or... feel deliberately well, aggrieved she's aged four months i mean that's a lot of maturity but it is not all of the maturity so yeah i, can, I know yeah. I, I guess what it is it's that she seems to be presenting his decision to leave sunnydale as a unilateral decision yeah that he chose this path for their relationship mm-hmm. and he didn't that's, yeah. i mean he kind of did but she was right there but with they him. they agreed that it was the right yeah thing. their parting was nothing like as heartbreaking and acrimonious and it wasn't one-sided. As this episode would suggest yeah, it yeah, was. Yeah. And I'm not sure that I buy entirely her rejection of his explanation for mm-hmm. returning to Sunnydale, but not telling her. Right. Any mm-hmm. more than I completely buy his explanation in Pang's for returning to Sunnydale and not telling her. Uh, that's kind of a contrivance, too. It is. It is. But I think it works okay. But it I works have well one, enough, certainly. One question about this whole yes. thing, though. Um, okay. At the end of the scene in which they beat up the Mora demon, right? Yeah. Um, and the Mora demon jumps out the window and then they've got to go chase him. Um, we see this moment where we have this like very conspicuously 80 yard line, uh, got somewhere I can change, right? Because in the next scene, yes. we see that Buffy is wearing a different outfit or at least has put a sweater on over her black tank top, a white sweater. When we're in the sewers, she is in white. Yes. She is very lightly colored. He is very darkly colored. And we get this wonderful moment where she's crawling up the ladder in the shaft yeah, the, of the sunlight. The and he metaphor. can't. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm wondering if that was, if they changed her outfit and then tried to make that work after the fact, if that's why the ADR was in there, if that was something that was planned all along so that we could have that. Because I think the visual itself of the very light colors that Buffy's in works really well. But we have such a conspicuous change. She's in black in the opening sequence yeah. and then in white after that. Because and it what you want to do deliberate. is change into a lighter colored and less practical outfit for demon hunting in the sewers. You're absolutely right. Right, considering how much you get stained by gross demon stuff, I think she would wear nothing but black all the time. I yeah. suspect that you're absolutely right that it was a, a production change mm-hmm. or, or at least a production decision. Yeah. And that accounts for the ADR line. Yeah. It, it, it seems really weird because it the way it's casually ADR'd in there, it feels like, um, like a mistake, like somebody forgot and accidentally put put her in the wrong outfit and so they had to like fix it in post. I think it's more likely that she went that they perhaps even started shooting the sewer stuff with her in the black outfit and, and maybe it just she was didn't too work. dark. Yeah. Um it but is it, a striking it's a wonderful visual when she's oh, sitting completely. in the sunlight and she's wearing that bright color. It's yeah, it's, it's a nice. color opposition that we've used before yeah. in Buffy. It's actually surprising to see her simply in all black. Yeah. Yeah. In that opening shot. Cuz she's so, not typically an all black kind of girl. And yeah. that's a purposeful thing that we do in Buffy. Mm-hmm. That's a purposeful reference that we make. There's a reason that Yeah. 
Yeah. The other characters don't generally wear all black unless we're in some kind of, you know, vampiric alternate Well, universe. yeah, because it, it also kind of detracts from the visual, you know, beauty of, of the moment. And when they're in the dark sewer, I can see how if they were both wearing black, it would all... I think it worked out really, really well. I think so, too. Um, in the end, I think it was a, it was a good choice. But it seems it feels both accidental and deliberate. And I was wondering if you had thoughts on that and look what it was. Yeah, I think it was probably a, 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 a decision that was made later. And rather than reshoot yeah. the opening mm-hmm. sequence, they mm-hmm. decided that uh, an 80-yard line would handle it. Yeah. Because really, there's no accounting for, for Buffy's decision to change clothes. Though that is true consistently throughout Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Very true. Just generally mm-hmm. accept that from yeah. time to time, she will randomly change I don't her think outfit. I even would have noticed if they hadn't had that weird ADR in there, though. It's, it's an odd choice, yeah. certainly. But the outfit that she ends up in mm-hmm. works beautifully within the frame of this episode. It absolutely does. And will also be significant in the future. Stay tune to the Stay spoiler zone the spoiler at section. the end of the episode sure. for us to discuss a little more about <laughs> Buffy's outfit. In the sewers, meanwhile, Angel feels weird. And Buffy takes the opportunity to launch into her whole thing, recapping the story so far. Which yes. I know, we were just watching the episode. You don't have to tell us about battling the demon and the whole thing. Yeah. We were there. <laughs> Angel, it turns out, wasn't talking about the blood, you big goof. Mm-hmm. They get closer, the single most romantic moment that's ever happened in a sewer tunnel, repeating over <laughs> and over that they can't, they shouldn't, they mustn't. They find a ladder to the surface and split up. Yes, Buffy in the sunlight. In the sunlight, Angel yeah. in the darkness. Angel is, of course, immediately attacked. <laughs> His hand <laughs> is cut open. He vamps out. They fight. And in short order, he kills the demon. Though not before some of the demonic blood flows into his wound. He blazes with light. And suddenly he and we can hear his heartbeat. Mm-hmm. That is a fast scene. It is, Yeah. I really like it, though. <laughs> I like it, too. We also have a very similar shot construction to what happened. He falls to his knees. We have the white light on him uh, that happened yeah. after he had sex with Buffy and lost his soul. Uh, so it's interesting to use the same There's shot construction there, for yeah. a complete reversal of that. Yeah. Back at the office, Cordelia and Doyle find the wreckage from the fight. Angel enters looking stunned. It takes Cordelia a moment to catch up, but Doyle gets it right away. Angel is alive with a pulse and a heartbeat and a desperate desire to raid the surprisingly well-stocked office mini-frame. No, this is adorable. Three people work in that office. One of them doesn't eat. And let's face it, Cordelia. That's Cordelia. (laughs) (laughs) You got there ahead of me. It's a lot of food in that office. There is a lot of food in that office, yeah. I think that's probably the only place that Doyle eats. If he can, It may well be. It may be the only access to a refrigerator that he has. Yeah. Angel dispatches Cordelia to find Buffy, but tells her not to share his secret. Not yet. Angel and Doyle research the Mora demon, assassins for the forces of darkness, dedicated to the killing of the soldiers of good. Its blood, we learn, has regenerative powers, and apparently burned the vampiric presence right out of Angel. Doyle is still keeping secrets about the powers that be, and Angel needs answers. One hard cut later, and we're approaching the gateway of lost souls, the portal to the oracles, and... Wow, this episode is moving a little fast, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. No, it's real nice. I really like the speed we're moving. Speed. Yeah. Okay, here's the concern I have about mm-hmm. this episode. This episode works very well on its own terms. Yes. Unfortunately, I have to view this episode as being a what-if, quasi-canonical, out-on-the-fringes-of-angel kind world. of episode. Mm-hmm. Because if it's not, <laughs> if it is absolutely 100% rock-solid canon, then our understanding of the Buffyverse yes. is irrevocably transformed by this episode. We have a cure for vampirism, y'all. We have a cure for <laughs> vampirism, which suddenly makes the Slayer yeah. kind of immoral. Yeah. I mean, we can get into that perhaps a little more deeply at the end of the episode, uh-huh. but knowing that you can cure, and presumably not just vampirism, but all kinds of, of demonic sure. possession, demonic mm-hmm. infestation, we can do all kinds of stuff with this blood, mm-hmm. and we know that apparently there are no shortage of Mora demons out there. Absolutely. Yeah, you would think, because he said, what, when one of us is killed, ten more rise, you know, that kind of thing? Not yeah. to mention the fact that we can apparently go back to the oracles, uh-huh. hey, anytime we like, sure. now we have a direct conduit to the yeah. powers that be. We're expanding the scope of Angel Uh at an accelerated rate, really very, very swiftly. Yeah. And I'm not sure that all of those choices, while they serve this episode really very well indeed, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that all of those choices are absolutely responsible in our understanding of the expanded Mm -hmm. world of Angel and 
Buffy. Yeah, well, there's one kind of brief reference, I think, that Doyle says very quickly, which has the sense that this is what happens specifically to Angel, that it has certain regenerative powers, and this is how it um, it manifested within Angel, but that that, and he didn't even say it directly, but there was like the slightest, you know, uh, connotation that there might, it might not do that for every vampire. So I think that that was. Right. So yeah. we're clearly led to believe by the text that not only did it burn the vampirism out yeah. of Angel, it also apparently cured his gypsy curse. Uh, yes, <laughs> so exactly. Which is, which is real nice. Too, sure. I guess, though, yeah. That's not to say it wouldn't have been entertaining for a now completely mortal Angel to have been turned evil by having sex with Buffy. <laughs> I mean, he wouldn't have been as dangerous. And then he'd just go work for Wall Street? Is yeah. that? <laughs> well, you were going to go for Walmart. But yes. Oh, no, no, Wall no, no, no. Asterisk, no. I guess. Yeah, no, 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 no. Point. Wall Street, yes. <laughs> Inside the realm of the oracles, Angel gives up his watch as a sacred offering and asks for answers. The demon's blood did it. He's human, but perhaps more importantly, he's done. He doesn't have a job anymore. He's not needed in the battle against the forces of darkness. So, Cool. I guess. He's abruptly returned to the mortal realm, where there's a weird beat where Doyle asks about his watch. No, because there's he comes back and it's like exactly the second that he left. So Doyle says, no time has passed. Look at your watch. And then Angel says, well, I can't because I had to bring them a gift and thanks for letting me know. But I think it's again, like it's it's not, it's a much more clumsy hit on this time thing because of course Angel goes in, they want a gift. What does he give them? The watch, right? Because sure, we're talking about works. time. So then it comes back and no time the, has passed. The way that the line is constructed yeah. though Almost made me feel as though we were leading up to the reveal where Angel pulls up his sleeve and his watch is still there. Exactly. No, it's kind of clumsy. I think what it is is it's it's trying to put a spotlight on see how clever we are with how we keep referencing time in this thing. <laughs> um, and and I feel like this is well, I love all the other ones. I love the the clock uh, that Angel is putting up in the opening. I love the tick 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 that we hear in the background, sure. uh, similar to how we hear his heartbeat when it comes in. Um, and thinking about heartbeats as a measurement of time, we reference the heartbeat a couple. Of times then he gives them the watch i think that's really nice this feels like it's a little lampshaded uh to me and it's also done in this moment that has so much activity because doyle says that line as they're recovering from angel <laughs> shooting back out of the thing yeah. at him so there's no time there's no breath there's no and it just kind of well, comes out in this weird jumble it's also a weird bit of of scaffolding and justification in yeah. a plot that is otherwise not at all concerned with scaffolding and justification right and is it important that angel comes have... back and it's as though no time has passed while he was in the the other realm and yeah. if that's true if doyle simply asserts it are we really under this circumstance not just going to believe him yeah is that a bridge to really Doyle, you opened this portal to the realm of the oracles, the channel to the powers that be, but you're going to just make a fuss about yeah, exactly. Angel not being You're going to be for- surprised about weird. Is that a thing? <laughs> really? Now you in this place in this time? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting beat. And it's just proof, I think, of how quickly this episode yeah. moves. Mm-hmm. It's a really, really swift episode. With barely a moment to recover, though, Doyle asks perhaps the most pressing question. Now that you can do what you want, what do you want? We cut in answer to Buffy by the ocean. She's stunned as Angel approaches her in full sunlight and kisses her deeply. Back in the office, Cordelia's plant is dying because of some malign influence that accompanies Buffy. Cordelia (laughs) is jealous. Put a pin in that to the end of the episode, I think. But in the basement apartment, it turns out that Buffy and Angel actually are having tea rather than, you know, groiny activities. Their relationship is complicated. They don't know what they want, what they need, or what Angel's role is going to be. Except that he's going to continue to be the grown-up and Buffy's going to continue to pout and misinterpret, I guess. (laughs) So they'll be mature. Everything will be reasonable and they'll take things slowly until they make the mistake of touching. The chemistry is immediate and undeniable and we tastefully pan away from sex on the kitchen table and pick up with Angel raiding the fridge for treats and supplies. Angel really loves food. Yes. Which makes sense because the last time Angel was human and could properly taste food, food was terrible. Yes. (laughs) We had basically not invented ice cream by that point. We had not invented most of the good foods. Yeah. I'm not at all surprised. (laughs) And a nice nod too to peanut butter in the bed. I was I picked up on that too. Yes, because Cordy was talking about peanut butter in the bed when she was staying at his place. But yeah, now he's actually getting peanut butter in the bed. So Good for Angel. <laughs> I don't know. Buffy seems more than willing to to take care of spilled foodstuffs. I know, I know. As long as they occur in a very specific, you know, area. 
Cordelia and Doyle are drowning their sorrows in a local bar, trying to figure out what they're going to do next, and Doyle tempts fate by mentioning his visions again just in time to have one. And I think this might actually be a secondary trait of his yeah. visions, mm-hmm. that he is mystically compelled to bring the damn things up and talk about them right before they happen. <laughs> They go to that well quite a bit with him. Well, it's either that or you have it in the cold open. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no, one or the other. <laughs> Previously on Angel, oh, and also Doyle gets headaches. <laughs> Buffy and Angel, meanwhile, cuddle in bed, glad at last to be together, to be normal, and to be perfect. And I don't, I don't know, perhaps it's just my desire for Buffy to have what she wants at a very deep level you know (laughs) we've followed this girl through you know three and a half seasons at this point and so much pain and misery exactly i want her to have that normal experience Mm -hmm. and i found i found the sex on the kitchen table to be a little hurried and a little unconvincing Mm -hmm. uh they've always had a deeper more tormented kind of passion than that sudden rush of Mm -hmm. i mean i can accept it it just didn't really move me that much and then the eating in bed similarly wasn't quite didn't quite feel true to these people. Mm-hmm. I found this scene enormously affecting. Yeah. It's so simple. It's so unhurried. It's mm-hmm. so uncluttered. Oh, it's beautiful. It's a real moment of of rest and respite in the mm-hmm. middle of the episode. And I think it manages to communicate very effectively. Yeah. This, this undeniable bond between the two of them. And it's wonderful. I want to stay awake so this day can yeah. keep happening. And every line that they say is a dagger in my soul. <laughs> <laughs> we should also say, too, yeah. Sarah Michelle Gellar, just brilliant. Oh, my God. Just when she is doing this it. deeply emotional work, yeah. she is unparalleled. Absolutely. Yeah. Just, just great. Sometime later, Angel slips out of bed as Buffy sleeps. I don't know if I was Angel. Mm-hmm. And the last time I'd slept with Buffy, I had slipped out of bed and things had gone pretty bad. I would maybe hesitate to do so again. But you might okay. not want to leave her there alone in the bed to wake up by herself. I mean, he doesn't know about Parker, but I think no, this is a real still, running thing with Buffy now. Buffy is going to like the next guy she sleeps with. She's going to tie him to the bedpost and be like, well, you'll be here in the morning. It's not at all impossible. Exactly. Doyle tells Angel that the Mora demon has regenerated. Looks like Angel's going to have to kill it all over again. But there's no force on Earth that can compel him to wake Buffy from her sleep, which is a Uh, really great moment. In the salt plant, Angel and Doyle hunt for the demon, though Angel is struggling to keep his composure, let alone battle the watching demon. Finally, it attacks, and the fight is short. Without his vampiric strength, Angel is no match for the creature. Back at the office, Buffy talks with Cordelia and manages with great wit and wisdom to trick her into revealing where Angel is and why he went there. (laughs) Inside the salt plant, Angel and the demon crash through the floor. The demon raises its sword, its foot on Angel's neck, ready for the killing blow, but Buffy arrives just in time to intervene. They fight, and the demon takes the opportunity to observe how much less powerful our heroes are now that Angel is mortal. Angel realizes that the jewel in the demon's forehead is its weak spot. It's honestly like he's never played a video game before, but okay. (laughs) And when Buffy smashes it, the demon shatters into prismatic light. Mm. How do we feel about the final showdown, the final extended fight sequence in, I guess, it's three parts? Because we get the fight outside where Doyle is immediately dispatched. Yes. And Angel Mm -hmm. takes a beating. Then we move inside. We have the the descent into Mm -hmm. whatever that is, whatever pit that is in which they find themselves. Some kind of salt silo. I'm not sure. (laughs) Sure. And then we have the pickup from that when Mm -hmm. Buffy appears. Mm -hmm. Does that work for you as a climax? Uh, Yeah, I like it. I like, you know, we've we see Angel fight and how effective he is. And to see Angel in this position where he knows what he knows and wants to be able to use it to to fight and protect people and yet can't do that. You know, that he's he's had this wonderful thing, the one thing that he wants given to him. You know, and the cost of that, and this is one of the things I love, is that we've always got consequence, we've always got cost, nothing comes for free, is that he kind of loses his identity in that process. Yeah, that's the main reason why I wish this episode were a two-parter, why I wish we just had more time to explore the space. Because that specific question, what is the responsibility of the mortal man or mortal woman to Mm -hmm. fight the forces of supernatural evil? I think that's such an interesting question, and it's so core to the thematic heart of Buffy as a series, as, mm-hmm. a, as, a, as a world. I would have loved to explore Angel's ability to contribute to the cause as a mortal, mm-hmm. 
Instead, what we get is this very hard delineation. Oh, no, you're mortal now. You have a heartbeat. That's it. You're out. You're you benched. can't do anything, despite yeah. the fact that both. Well, Doyle is still mortal. He's a demon, but he's. Well, Doyle's so he's got demon, some but power. The but I mean, comparison, Cordy, you know, Willow, Cordy, Xander, Willow, Xander, Giles, yes. all Xander of these people. The, the, yeah. Absolutely the go to example because yeah. he's not even possessed of the dizzying intellect that we usually attribute exactly. to both Willow and Giles. <laughs> Xander really has yeah, nothing Xander but heart. Yeah, Xander is the everyday man, yeah. But he's capable of mm-hmm. great things. We've had entire episodes dedicated to that. Yeah. But here, because this is just a framework that we, that we need for this episode to work, mm-hmm. we're led to believe that a mortal angel is of no use in right. the battle mm-hmm. against evil. Mm-hmm. That's a little thin. It's a little flimsy Well, it's for also me. not entirely true because it's mortal angel who says... It's the gem. Hit him. <laughs> you know, right, he has go. all this. No- he does have all this knowledge and understanding, encyclopedic knowledge and understanding. And a lot of it is primarily sourced because he was actually there to witness mm-hmm. a lot of these things. Um, so he has like a lot of times when Giles doesn't know what's going on, he will turn to Angel because Angel's been around for such a long time and has seen pretty much everything. Absolutely. So, uh, so I mean, his ability to fight, I think that when... When he goes back to see the oracles, that the the way he describes the situation then, you know, where he says they've taken a warrior mm-hmm. from this side, that, that it's not just his knowledge, but it's the combination of his knowledge, his ability, his Absolutely. dedication. So that that is all of those things that combine to make Angel what he is. A beat that's foreshadowed when Doyle conducts yes. the ritual to open the portal to the, the realm of the oracles mm-hmm. where he refers to Angel as a warrior. You know, Doyle yeah. himself is just a messenger. Angel's something different. And he something says bigger. you're pure of heart. But it would have yeah, been interesting to mm-hmm. explore explore that space a little more fully, have a little more back and forth. To have a little more time to really so it's not just that we're watching Angel come to this conclusion, but as an audience that we have time to also come to this conclusion, because I am certain that there are a bunch of people who are watching him turn this around saying, No Every you know? single time I watch the episode. Yeah. <laughs> every single time I watch the episode, I always think that they're going in a different direction. Mm-hmm. There is that moment when the demon drops Buffy yeah. onto his knee when he basically what yes. would break the back of a normal human being. You right. Know? This is the this is the Batman maneuver mm-hmm. when Batman is crippled at the hands of Bane. That is what happens. It's a very familiar beat, and every time that happens, I think they could have killed Buffy. Right, and then they he would have gone have back. Her. And but I understand then you that that would have get, changed. Yeah, this is the thing. Yeah, you would have ended up with a very different episode. Mm-hmm. But even if Angel had feared in that moment that she was dead, if in that moment, if Buffy we had had drops, a bit of an exploration of that, where for a moment he believes that she's dead, that's enough. One, even in his exactly. mortal state, who kills the demon? Yeah, out of out of vengeance and fury, he right. kills the demon. Yeah, I mean, you end up with a more complicated. Yeah. Exploration, discussion of these ideas, a more complicated interrogation of this central theme. Mm-hmm. But there's something about the way that those beats fall that I don't find entirely convincing. I'm 90% of the way there. And yeah. I see the missing pieces when Angel talks to the Oracle. Mm-hmm. But when he goes in to talk to the Oracle, I'm not on his Up side. Up to that point, exactly. <laughs> and I think that if we had had a moment... Where he thought Buffy was dead and yeah. dead because he recklessly went out to face this demon without waking her, without, you know, because he wanted to protect her and that he's not in a position to protect her. You know, um, I think that and and when he tells her, you know, later and he says, I make you, you know, I make you take chances that mm-hmm. you wouldn't take mm-hmm. um, and that I'm dangerous. I think that all of that makes sense and I completely understand it and I'm totally behind him and I think he's making the right choice. But yeah. Until he actually expresses it that way. If there was a moment when he thought Buffy was dead, which we could have done in here, and I mean, make an amazing episode even better because we would have had that moment with him where, you know, his mortality is directly what caused her death in that circumstance. And when your tone is this heightened, Mm -hmm. when everything is this operatic and intense, you need your lines of conflict and motivation to be absolutely elemental in their purity they have to be so undeniable Mm -hmm. in order to motivate this kind of action and i just don't think that we do it they absolutely salvage it because from here we cut to the realm of the oracles Mm -hmm. where angel gives the vase as an offering he asks what will happen to buffy in the coming war when he learns that she will die he asks to be restored to be what he was before he will be a warrior again 
and the female oracle is impressed by his stature. He is yeah. not a lesser being. That is a great moment, and he absolutely makes the case. Mm-hmm. But until he makes the case, he sells I, it in I'm that not moment. With him. Exactly yeah. the, that the more demon actually took a warrior from your side, yeah. um, and that's really true. That's what happened. That he got his humanity, but he got it to the benefit of the very things that he has been fighting which is forever, which is so his smart. identity. Yeah, that is such a beautiful piece of plot work. It is absolutely. I, I I'm so appreciative of of the thought that has gone into that, mm-hmm. into that final revelation yeah. and Angel's final motivation. I just wish we could have, have connected it back into the events that we saw because ultimately the battle at the salt plant feels too much like any other climactic battle in a Buffy episode. And this should be, this is a very special day, not to yeah. mention the fact that we are rewinding the clock. Exactly you know, right. we can go further with this. And I think that, you know, having that moment where he thinks Buffy's dead. Right. Because you need to have this moment where he goes back to her after the oracles and kills me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but there are ways. Yes, yeah. you're right. You can't kill Buffy in the fight. Right. Because that fundamentally changes the nature of the episode, right? To have him fear for a moment that she is dead and then find that she isn't. You know, she can get up and shake it off and everything's okay. Mm -hmm. But the fear is what matters. The fear is what motivates him. And that would account for his return to the oracles. Right. Everything Mm -hmm. else, though, that follows from that is, well, damn near perfect. I mean, it's really, really tough to watch. The female oracle says that the entire day will be taken back and undone and none of what transpired will happen, but Angel will be burdened with remembrance. He returns home where Buffy is waiting. He tells her about the deal with the oracles, about what the Mora demon said, about the darkness that will keep coming until they're dead. They have only one minute left, and though they embrace tightly and Buffy swears over and over, desperate, that she will never forget, their day is consumed in a flash of white, and we reset perfectly to the talk of forgetting. The Mora demon bursts through the window and Angel calmly takes the antique clock from the desk and smashes the jewel. The demon dies and Buffy, though impressed, has said all there is to say. Angel looks down to the clock, broken on the floor, and when he looks up, Buffy has gone. The end. It's and just they play perfect. close your eyes. They play close your eyes. Underneath when she's crying and oh my god. It's just a beautiful moment. And as frustrated as I might be, as slightly frustrated as Mm -hmm. I might be by Buffy's petulance Mm -hmm. early in the episode, here we see the emotional complexity, the emotional maturity, the emotional intensity Mm -hmm. that we associate with this love story at its very best. This doesn't have a whole season building up to it. We don't have that struggle and torment. And we have addressed the core ideas Mm -hmm. before. We all know that Buffy and Angel are never going to work for exactly. all the reasons that they've laid out. <laughs> that aside, though, mm-hmm. w- without that additional context, the resolution of I Will Remember You has all the power, yeah. all the intensity mm-hmm. of of Close Your Eyes, the, the end of Becoming Part 2. Yeah, no, it really does. This is probably the episode in the whole Buffyverse, aside from the end of Becoming, that destroys me the most, that I just weep for like it's the last 10 minutes powerful. of the show. Yeah. And a lot of that yeah. falls on, on Sarah Michelle Gellar's shoulders. Oh my God, she's amazing. There's a story uh, that is uh, referenced on the internet about this episode that if you listen very, very carefully to Angel's dialogue in that closing scene, he actually calls her Sarah. Because she Does was he? having such a hard time on the set. Oh my god! The story goes, and I can't find absolute documentary proof of this story, yeah. verification of this story. But the story goes that Sarah Michelle Gellar was having such a hard time with this on set that she was begging with Joss Whedon to change the episode. Oh, to just I don't know, find some other way oh of doing god. it. She's like, I did this once for you a year and a half ago, <laughs> and I'm still recovering from that. And, uh, well, which certainly oh accounts god. for the stories that we heard about becoming, where she was so distraught yeah. by those scenes, so emotionally ruined by those oh, scenes, sure. uh, that, that it took her a long while to recover. I think, I, I'm not sure, I'm not even 100% sure if you really hear Angel say, yeah, or, or hear David, David Boreanaz. Boreanaz say Sarah. Yeah. You, it certainly sounds like it, yeah. but it isn't necessarily that, because he's kind of whispering and, and, and right. half pronouncing, mm-hmm. he's making soothing noises more than anything else, so I'm not 100% sure, but it says a lot, I think, that we believe the story. Yeah. That we account for the possibility of truth. Well, because in order to do, I mean, there's something like when I'm writing a scene that is incredibly emotional, like I have to live through it 
with my characters and I weep and I cry and I go through this whole thing and it is emotionally exhausting. <laughs> when you write, when you act, when yeah. you create something like that, you are genuinely feeling those emotions. There are actual chemicals you are in your brain. actually <laughs> feeling all of those chemicals are there. But the thing is that like, if it gets overwhelming for me, I can stop writing for a while and walk away. Sarah Michelle Gellar has to feel this so intensely, yeah. these exact emotions. And for such a long time, all day long. And the thing is that the reason why you don't see many actors of that caliber doing that kind of work is because that is the most devastating thing to be able to do. And the fact that she can do that so convincingly, you know, that this is yeah, the stuff so. that like, I, you know, I'll cry and stuff, but I'm not generally a terribly, you know, weepy and emotional when it comes to stories and movies and TV and stuff. This stuff destroys me i mean this kills me every time i see it um and the use of that music too. oh god to to use close your eyes is just the meanest thing of but, course we're going yeah. to put a lot of focus on the the discussion immediately prior to the reset to the, uh -huh. the most heightened moment perhaps my favorite performance in the entire episode though comes from david Boreanaz in the aftermath of the reset oh my god the yeah. way that he manages to maintain his composure, the way that he is abruptly in that moment, of course, once more a vampire. Yeah. You know, he's reintegrating. He's just lost his humanity yeah. in a very physical and real sense. The way that he manages to communicate that, but also mm -hmm. control and constrain that right. is, is beautifully done. I really, really appreciate his it performance in this episode. It takes a tremendous amount of subtlety yeah. not to just come across as wooden when you're that restrained, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that David Boreanaz has this incredible ability to be able to do that. And the work that he does, I mean, we see Sarah Michelle Gellar in these moments, but he's done these moments with her, you know? And you can see what that does to him too, oh, you yeah. know? I yeah. mean, he doesn't have quite as much to carry as she does, um, but that's tough. And what he does from a much more restrained place, too, I think is, is it takes an incredible amount of talent to be able to do that. Oh, absolutely. And do that it's, effectively. It's and it looks a lot easier, but I'm not sure it's that much easier. No, that's know? true. And he certainly manages to bring a, in, in his best performances, yeah. he manages to bring a nuance to his stoicism. Yes. That, mm -hmm. that assures you as the viewer that he is being stoic. He's it's not that feeling he's everything. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And he, it's, amazing it is really amazing and this whole thing is just so devastating but necessary they couldn't live like that they couldn't be together it was never going to happen because it's not angel's role it's not his destiny and it's you know do we feel i'm this is the eighth episode of the first season of angel yeah and it's coming on the heels of the harsh light of day mm -hmm. <laughs> in which sure. we also tempted angel with something approaching a more normal life uh, yeah, sure sure this is the second sunset he's seen exactly. in a couple of weeks yeah so he goes sure. 150 years without seeing a any sunset sunsets. exactly <laughs> now all of a sudden he's getting a tan i mean what's going on yeah is that a little too much is does this episode lose some i don't know immediacy some quality of of uniquity because it's just a couple of episodes after the harsh light of day. Does it make his vampirism seem like less of an endless torment because he gets a break from it every couple of weeks? Mm -hmm. um, I don't think so, uh, because the harsh light of day, I think had they done something that was about him not being a vampire yeah. anymore. Uh, to, to qualify, of course, the episode that we're referring to is In the Dark, not The Harsh Side of Day. The Harsh Side of Day is the Buffy half. Oh, and I keep calling it Into the Dark. Yes, it's also so not that. So I'm screwing it up in, in multiple ways. <laughs> in the Dark, the third episode of the first in season. In the Dark, the yes. third episode. Well, I think that because, you know, it's not repeating this, oh, I get rid of my vampirism, that this episode is about so much more than that. It's about what it means to be human because even though he was able to go out in the sun, he was not going to get killed by a stake with the gem of Amara he didn't lose being a vampire he was still a no, vampire arguably the presence of the gem of Amara mm -hmm. made him even less human yes than mm -hmm. he is now right you I, I was fairly convinced by his justification for his actions at the end of in the dark as regular listeners will remember yeah. I, I, I like that take on his role and I mm -hmm. find that explanation to be 
absolutely compatible with and companionable to the explanation that we get at the end of this episode, yeah. albeit this ep- explanation is much more personal, much more immediate. Mm-hmm. Does this work better for you than the explanation we got for his continued heroism in in the dark? Do you see the much, two as being very better. different things? Or? Much, much better. I thought that his explanation for destroying the Gem of Amara was a little flat. And those of you who listened to that episode may remember that. Um, and that there, while he did the right thing, I didn't feel like he really touched on the right reasons for doing that mm-hmm. thing. In this, I think he absolutely made the only choice that he could make, you know, because him being mortal made Buffy's life more dangerous mm-hmm. um, and uh, and he needed to be able to he would rather be in that fight beside her protecting her and helping her than uh, than be able to have this life with her which they both so desperately want but just can never have not not without the sacrifice being too great yeah 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 no it works beautifully Mm-hmm. for me in, in its broadest movements as we right. said you know maybe there's some specifics that some we can speak little about things the the i think but, but yeah broadly it works all right let's switch gears okay. and, and turn our attention away from buffy and angel uh-huh to a more interesting and complicated and contradictory character yes we acknowledge within the frame of the episode that cordelia is jealous yes of whom is cordelia jealous and to what degree and why well I'm not sure. I think I don't think she's jealous because she likes Angel. I, I that would be the obvious conclusion. That's right? a romantic and that's jealousy. Almost the the conclusion that the episode prompts us to reach. Right. Is that she's jealous of of Buffy because Buffy is downstairs I think having jealous of that kind of love. I think that that it's, was my yeah, take too. Yeah. That. Buffy, and, and, and almost as a lingering, and perhaps this is extra textual because I'm bringing this from our experiences in Buffy, sure. that perhaps there's a jealousy there of Buffy's specialness, yeah. of the fact that she's different, she's other, yeah. she belongs in this wider, darker, more dangerous world in a way that Cordelia doesn't and arguably never will well it's always been about buffy i mean if we look back at the wish right i mean the wish is when cordelia is mad at xander and she's mad at willow but the wish she makes is about buffy because buffy is representative of really and truly and fairly everything that is wrong in cordelia's life very true although i would argue that had buffy never shown up cordelia might very well be dead (laughs) So, well, that's fair yes, you know. too. But I mean, if you drain out all the mm-hmm. supernatural challenge that, yeah. that the kids of Sunnydale faced, you know, if you take out the Slayer, but also all the vampires and demons and things right. that go bump in the night, mm-hmm. Cordelia's life would certainly have have. I mean, would still have been interrupted by her father's apparently enormous tax fraud. Exactly. <laughs> but <laughs> otherwise, would have been yeah. the life that she expected. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a fascinating moment and i love that we're continuing to get mm-hmm. complexity from cordelia yeah even mm-hmm. when she's bumped to the periphery if anything i'm a little frustrated that her interactions with buffy are as flat as they are yeah. in this episode i like that there's that spark of jealousy and i like that that spark of jealousy isn't directly pinned to a romantic interest in angel yeah I well like especially because cordelia is starting to to you know give the the nice eye to doyle at this point so i mean that's well, starting to sort of where that's starting god knows there's precious little of that in this episode Very picking true. up from last yeah, week but mm-hmm. That's the nature of episodic television. There Certain you go. subplots will rise and, and fall in accordance with the priorities. We have other things to do exactly. in this episode. So our Cordy and Doyle stuff is very, very tight. And I, and I think they did a really good job of having those little interstitials with uh, Cordy and Doyle. You know, just short, really tight, get to the point, and then move on. So. Yeah, a little flatly comedic Yeah, for yeah, my taste, mm-hmm. particularly when the fight with the demon breaks out in the office. Yes, exactly. And Cordelia chalks it up as the normal interactions yes. between Buffy and Angel, which seems a little unjustified in the first instance. I don't know. I think it's maybe a little justified. They so? do they do tend to, like, you <laughs> know, ruin Cordelia, a lot of furniture. Has Cordelia yeah. ever been present for one of those fights? I, I don't know. in my know. memory, at least, those fights all took place in the garden mansion so i'm sure she's heard the stories i'm sure you know, i'm sure has. they've i'm that, sure they've had fair. much discussion yes that's right she's mm-hmm. on the phone with willow constantly exactly sure. <laughs> just just catching up on all the gossip from sunnydale yeah. no that whole side of things works really nicely mm-hmm. i think and god knows the episode feels like an episode of angel yes which is mm-hmm. surprising because i think the temptation from a production perspective would have been to 
turn this into a continuation of Buffy. Yeah. But mm -hmm. Buffy is the interloper here. Yeah. This feels like Angel. It feels like LA. It feels like this more mature and sophisticated and complicated world. All and, of that yeah, works out yeah. really quite nicely. To what degree does this episode break our understanding of the Buffyverse for you? Um, <laughs> How do you feel? Uh, let's ask this question first then, I guess. How do you feel about the Oracles existing? Well, the Oracle's existing and it being like, you know, Doyle walks in. He's like, I don't even know. It's not easy to get to the powers that be. It's not easy to. Well, I guess we can go see the Oracles. Ah, they may not let you. It's like this whole thing about how difficult it's going to be. But in the end, you know, it's essentially pushing a fiery doorbell and they're let in. You also know, a huge expansion of it's our understanding of the theology and cosmology the of the Buffyverse and the powers that be. Doyle might as well say, oh, sure. We can go ask my buddy Jesus. Exactly. About this. <laughs> <laughs> the implications of that it makes it's the accessibility of all of these things that were so far beyond their reach until this moment and now suddenly we have these oracles um who can turn back time beings of can, infinite power yeah you yeah. know who can just hang out and and casually intervene in angel's life if he asks them nicely and grant enough. wishes yes. <laughs> temporal <laughs> folds yes there's a scene early in the episode the first time he goes to the oracles when angel asks uh the female oracle uh, uh -huh. about what's going on and she kind of has this moment and then says the auguries say no <laughs> and it looks like she is just pulling that out of thin air yeah it mm -hmm. looks like she is just deliberately mm -hmm. <laughs> improvising that response <laughs> to what he says so i'm not sure at this point how much I trust the oracles at all. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of like them as, as tricksters, you know, but I mean, but they are actually capable of creating a temporal fold, which to me seems like a big deal um, and a tremendous amount of power to be able to, to have access to, you know? So I think that what this does is it really splits the Buffyverse and the Angelverse, the things that you can do in Buffy and the things that you can do in Angel. And we're, you know, going to see that Tonally, widen. Yeah. Yes. Though it is a shared universe. It is a shared universe, yeah. It reminds me of the I Zeppo. don't think you could have the oracles in Buffy. No, I, I don't think you could either, but that's a bizarre thing. Yeah. It reminds me of that scene in the Zeppo when Giles goes to the graveyard mm -hmm. and summons these ancient spirits of, right, of power. Right, right, yes. Mentioned for the first and last time in that episode. Let's never in, mention in them again. In one of our more minor apocalypses. Yeah. Yes, uh-huh. We're expanding the scope and the scale of the Buffyverse in order to accommodate this episode. And I'm not sure to what degree we're <laughs> being mindful Yeah, that the universe is always going to be that size now. Uh-huh. Right. When we're yeah. dealing with some trivial endeavor, you know, mm -hmm. three weeks from now, the oracles are still going to exist and the powers that be are apparently going to be real and not that metaphorical. And accessible. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that to me is problematic. However, mm -hmm. the episode also gives us the language that we need to process it because mm -hmm. this episode feels, for all that we talk about temporal folds, yes. it feels like a what if Elseworlds version yeah. of the Buffyverse. Even the mechanics, the, the, the flash to white transit mm -hmm. between the, I guess, alternate timeline and the reset to the real timeline, yeah. it feels like the wish. It feels like an alternate universe episode yeah yeah except you know angel remembers it sure yeah and has that experience that he will carry with him and because he remembers it he remembers the oracles we're not just washing their existence and their accessibility away either no we're yeah. absolutely not and obviously you're, you're right. you know doyle already knew about them so uh yeah yeah there's going to be an interesting conversation <laughs> after <laughs> buffy leaves the office <laughs> angel's gonna have a sit down talk with doyle exactly. i'm sure yeah yeah it it is difficult and it is challenging to our understanding of how things work and the nature of good and evil and this eternal conflict you know mm -hmm. we're foreshadowing this coming battle but it's kind of difficult to be sure how much weight we're really supposed to give to those yeah. prophecies mm -hmm. you know to this this coming final apocalyptic yeah. <laughs> uh, conflict between good and evil it's difficult to be sure how much we're supposed to genuinely weigh and appreciate that and how much it's just a part of this one-shot episode of yeah. Angel. With all of that said, though, an absolutely fantastic episode of Angel. I'm only going to ask as a formality where this episode <laughs> goes on the list of every Angel episode ever. Yeah. Oh, well, number one, obviously. Just, I mean, Just right at the top, one, and it's going to be there for a good long while. Vaulting the yeah. rest of them. Let yeah. me ask you this question. 
where does this episode go on the big list of every Buffy episode ever? If we were doing a combined list, and Buffy is in this episode. Oh, Jesus. Is this... Um, this is up top. I mean, is this, this a is... a becoming kind of episode? Is it a lover's walk kind of episode? Is it up there with graduation day? Yeah, it's up there. I mean, I, I, think... I don't know. I don't know. Because it's so hard. Because Buffy and Angel, they really are, and becoming more and more apples and oranges they're just they're in a they're they are a shared universe but it's a different this is world. why we're keeping two different lists yeah so i mean i don't know but i mean it would definitely be in the top 10 for me this is you know one of the best oh, episodes in all of the buffy verse top five i yeah. think that while i'm a little frustrated with the brevity mm-hmm. uh while i'm certainly a little frustrated with with just the uncertainty yeah. that we're left with, with regard to the powers that be, with regard to the oracles, with regard to all of these How prophecies of How this has changed our danger. universe. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is, this is for me every bit as powerful, particularly because it takes place in one episode as opposed to two. Right. This is mm-hmm. every bit as powerful as, as Becoming for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Um, as a single piece of work, Becoming, I think, edges it out because you have that entire season-long arc building up to that moment. But yeah, mm-hmm. for me, this is a top five Buffy episode and sure. absolutely number one with a bullet on the angel list. I suspect it's going to remain there for a while. I am, yeah, I am not sure looking at the entire run of Angel if it's ever going to be unseated. I think it will be. Okay. I, I, if I were called upon to make the prediction right now, this is definitely a top five Angel episode. Yeah. I'm not sure that it's... <laughs> I don't know. It's we'll have to see. It's been list, a while we'll since I've seen Angel and I've only seen the entire run once. So it's going to be very interesting to see where we go from here. So that is it for our discussion of I Will Remember You on this Thanksgiving day. If you are listening to this on the day that it is released and you happen to be in the United States, then happy Thanksgiving to you. (laughs) If you're listening to it on another day or if you're not in the United States, hey, just hope you have a great day. Happy, happy day. Happy day. Whatever the day is, I hope that it's a good day for you. you. We will return on Monday to discuss the ninth episode of the fourth season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Something Blue, given your appreciation of these... (laughs) Gimmick, I high love concept, them. Everyone acting a little wacky episodes. It lives to delight me. Yeah. And the thing is that Something Blue is an episode that I think a lot of people have expressed uh, really mixed feelings about. So it'll be interesting to go back to it. But I have always adored Something Blue. Absolutely a fun episode, mm-hmm. if not necessarily a great episode, I think. <laughs> then next week, we're going to be looking at Something Blue. And then, of course, at Hero. That is our yeah. next episode of Angel. And the week after that, a little episode called Hush will occupy our Monday <gasps> show. Is it coming up that fast? And then we're going to talk about parting gifts on Thursday. Oh so we've got a goodness. couple of great weeks yeah. of Buffy and Angel to look forward to. There will be a short spoiler section after the music, so stick around for that. And if you should find yourself over the course of the next few days anywhere near a little website called Amazon.com, might I recommend a new book? <laughs> might I recommend Lonnie's new book, <laughs> For Love or Magic by Lucy March, a.k.a. our very own Lonnie, will be released next Tuesday. That's December the 1st. But you can head on over to Amazon.com and pre-order it right now. I have already read this book because I was married to you when you wrote it. <laughs> yes, and that's one <laughs> of the perks of this whole deal. It is a great book. It is the third in the Paranormal Romance Not Away Falls series. It's my favorite yeah. of the three. I think it's an absolute barnstormer of a book. So, guys, if you're interested in reading Lonnie's new book, For Love or Magic, by Lucy March, head on over to Amazon.com and pick it up today. That's it for the show. Stick around for the Spoiler Zone. We'll be back on Monday with more. Until then, I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. And this is Dusted. Okay, we're in the spoiler zone now. And when I say we're in the spoiler zone, I mean that I am about to reveal one of the biggest plot beats in all of Buffy history. So if (laughs) you haven't seen all of Buffy for real, turn this podcast off now, because I am about to point out that the outfit that Buffy wears when she goes into the sewer is certainly reminiscent of the outfit that she will wear in The Gift. In The Gift, the end of season five. white sweater, very simple, very understated, very pure outfit. Right, an episode in which she dies. Right. Which is exactly the thing that Angel gave his humanity back to prevent, 
and then doesn't prevent. <laughs> so I think in that moment when he gets that phone call, he must be like, Oracles, you know, you stupid. Best the oracles. Yeah. No, it's the moment when she's climbing the ladder. Yeah. There's that moment when, when she's into rising light. into the light yeah. and he's in the shadow and he reaches out but can't touch her yep. because of the light. Oh, God. It's it's so striking. And yeah. it's, it's absolutely uh, either the most audacious piece of foreshadowing we've ever seen on television or a wonderful coincidence. Just the weirdest uh, piece of synchronicity. Yeah, yeah but it's, it's really kind of wonderfully reflected and when mm. when you know everything that happens when you follow all of Buffy and all of Angel and you see these things you know these little call outs that happen um, you can't help but think it's deliberate but I'm not sure that it is but it's a really nice piece of synchronicity no but we're certainly looking toward the possibility that Buffy is going to face her own mortality in the near future oh, though sure. she's the slayer so that's always on the cards well mortality is always a thing for her and she's already died once that's you know? true I so, mean, I mean, how many more is... times could she possibly die Die. Am I right? Hardly this girl's first rodeo. How many times could she possibly die and then sing about it Exactly. <laughs> More on that in the episodes to come. The other major topic, I guess, we, we can certainly talk about our understanding of the powers that be in the oracles and yeah. the ways in which Angel thematically deviates from Buffy. I think mm-hmm. that's a fascinating conversation and one that will gesture toward now, if not have in depth, because right, there's so we're much. going to talk about that when we get to it. And it's a process of degrees mm-hmm. to degrees that will last us all the way up to the angel finale. Yeah. The most interesting thing that Angel has to say about the battle between good and evil takes place in the last episode. Exactly, in the last moments of the last exactly. episode. So we'll yeah. get to all of that in due course. But for now, I want to talk about Cordelia, because sure. of course... On the horizon, Uh Cordelia and Angel will be romantically linked. Will be a thing. Not a terribly popular romantic relationship in the fandom. Yeah. Though there are some people, as there always are, who will defend it to the death. There are are shippers for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the Cordy and Angel romance for me, I, I feel their friendship as the strongest expression of their their essential relationship. So I was never a big fan of the romance. It felt very convenient. It felt, well, you're here and I'm here and they don't have anybody Cordelia better for me. Cordelia and Angel are better suited as friends as are Wallace Fennell and Veronica Mars. Exactly, exactly. Their yeah. friendship and kinship mm-hmm. is a much more powerful expression of who those characters are and it's than any potential romantic The only permanent relationship that he can have, exactly. you know, is that kind of a friendship. And the only one that's really going to work. Um, yeah. But I guess my question is, knowing what we know about where Angel is going, do we think that the beat of Cordelia's jealousy was foreshadowing an eventual interest? Is it just because, you know, I'm hot, you're hot, let's be hot together? I think it's that. Well, I don't, okay, I, I think that I'm hot, you're hot, let's be hot together is where, why that romance ever happens in okay. the first place. Um, but I think that in this moment, I don't think that we're saying that she's jealous of, you know, of Buffy having Angel. I think that she is jealous of what Buffy and Angel have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it's about Angel. I think it's about that kind of passionate love, um, which she at this point doesn't have in her life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's essentially what she's uh, she's jealous about. Um, I think that Doyle asking that question is asking specifically to fish for, do you have a thing for Angel? Um, I think that that comes from Doyle's insecurity and probably says more about him than it does necessarily about Cordelia. Does Doyle suffer from this episode, given that the next time we see him, it's going to be Hero? Given that we're really running out of Doyle now. Well, yeah, I think that Doyle, we don't really have much of an opportunity to, Is it, you know, it'll, it'll be very much after next week, Doyle, we hardly knew ye, you know, go. For, for a variety of reasons, both yeah. textual and extra textual, yeah. certainly. I, I think that Doyle as a character suffers a little bit because of the concession to the crossover yeah. that dominates this episode. We had so much development from Doyle last week. Right. Mm-hmm. We, we really moved the needle on his character. This week, he's just Doyle again. He's just kind of hanging out there on the yeah. sidelines. He's and then Mr. next Exposition. week, he's going to be central. Yeah. And then he's going to be dead. And then that's it for Doyle. So, um, so yeah, it feels like this, given that next week Doyle is leaving, it feels like the episode before Doyle leaves should be the episode that has something uh, something a little more that for ideally, him to do. Ideally, you would have inverted this week and last week. Yeah. So you would have made Doyle's arc a little of, more. But you can't do that because we're yeah. crossing over with uh, with yeah. Buffy. And there are a lot of complicated reasons why it couldn't work out that way. Keeping Doyle around for one more episode, I guess, for whatever reason, was not the plan. So. In the sewers, when Buffy says that she's in, that she's on the brink of something yeah. great in her life, 
Yeah. <laughs> we obviously take that with our knowledge of the series to be Riley. I guess. Has is she that a recognized? Uh, I know that this he knows question. how he feels about her. But though they were talking in last week's episode, when Angel was talking with Willow and yeah. they were talking outside, it doesn't seem to me like Buffy has really recognized her a very feelings tentative... for Riley. But I mean, maybe this is her first acknowledgement of that and we just haven't seen it yet. Or are we know? misreading that line in its intent and what she's actually talking about is something is her psychology more class? broad, something more general. You know, well, she's I'm in college, saying my I'm life is getting on. really great. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that she's, maybe what she's talking about is that she's getting over him. She's, you know, moving on. Even if it well, means Parker. But. She might be talking about that, but if she is talking about that, she's not speaking with a great deal True. of authority or yeah. honesty. <laughs> um, no, I, I definitely took it this time mm-hmm. to be a direct reference to Riley. I and think perhaps so. that's just because I'm enjoying Riley more than I ever have. Seriously. Um, but I, I'm not sure if in the text of this episode that's what we're supposed to take from yeah. it or if it's a more general mm-hmm. you know, a, a gesture of appreciation. She's just had Thanksgiving. Yeah. We're now a couple of days later, yeah. apparently. Well, I think it's the uh, next morning. Morning. I think she came right down. Yeah, I'm not sure yeah. exactly mm-hmm. of of the timeline, but yeah. yeah. Oh, she does refer to it as last night, yeah. I guess. Yeah, so, I think she so does. I guess I think it must have been morning. a mad dash mm-hmm. to L.A. That doesn't entirely, you know, account for her brief lie about visiting Hank in L.A. Sure. Because she has Apparently no she interest has in seeing no her father. In her father at all. <laughs> that is a minor frustration, I guess. We're not going to deal with Hank. Yeah. Just on an ongoing basis, we're not going to deal with Hank Summers. Mm-hmm. We're not going to deal with Buffy's issues regarding her father. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have killed them to have a scene. If if when Angel had emerged from the sunlight and yeah. gone to her and they had kissed, it wouldn't have killed them if the beat prior to that had been Buffy saying goodbye to her father. You know, they've just had coffee together. It's been a great moment. No, I, I like that, that she that's, has that's no a intention. Beat yeah, in an angel story. Exactly. Well, and that's the thing. Like this is the episode where we start to see those roads diverge. It's been mostly a tonal thing, although we do have through um, through Doyle that direct connection to what we're going to call the powers that be, which become a very big force in the angel verse. Right, but this is the first episode where that becomes apparent because mm-hmm. up until now in the you know expansive history of angel the series the powers that be have been a part of doyle's super convenient conflict MacGuffin. exactly yeah you know we just Mm -hmm. we have this conflict engine so that we can have cases of the week without having to have angel just stumble over people in desperate need of his assistance exactly right supernatural means of accessing that part of the story and that's been great but the powers that be could have been you know Question mark, question mark, Could exclamation point. Could maintained have been nothing. As, and we also do get some sense of that from Whistler as well, yeah. uh, because he has access to information that, you know, seems a little, like the source of which seems a little mysterious. Um, and uh, and so I find that kind of, it, it feels like Angel doesn't diverge from Buffy just tonally, but the actual universe, yeah. the things that happen in Angel, the fact that we have Lorne and his demon bar, mm-hmm. and we have, you know, like demons are so much more plentiful so much more complicated they sit on a wide spectrum of good to evil mm-hmm. um and then we have of course you know when we go to Plitzelgerb or whatever it is that you know <laughs> uh these different alien worlds that we mm-hmm. end up uh or demon worlds that we end up visiting uh, the role of prophecy yeah the role of prophecy is and destiny is huge huge in Angel, which is not quite as as much of a force in Buffy. The powers that be as something that, that are accessible um, are not really available to us in Buffy, although they are regularly um, connected um, with an Angel. And I think that we have this sort of divergence that these these are two, you know, kind of lateral universes, but they're not necessarily the same universe. They are, though generally speaking, I think they managed to walk that line fairly nicely. What we see through the prism of Angel is a recontextualization of what Buffy is as a story. Mm -hmm. It's the story of the Slayer. And the Slayer is one girl in all the world. But that's just one girl. Yeah. She's a force for good. That's one fight, but she's not the only force for good in the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And even the Hellmath starts to seem like fairly small potatoes by exactly, the, exactly. The, by the time we get to the dragon sure right. yeah we're um, dealing with we're dealing with a much larger canvas yeah here. and that works i think mm-hmm. uh, broadly speaking yes there are some troubling inconsistencies yes sure. there are absolutely some issues that will need to be addressed about you know the way in which we are supposed to understand the buffy versus being fundamentally and essentially compatible with the angel universe mm-hmm. i'm not sure that that's right. just true mm-hmm. all the time 
But I think you're absolutely right in that the the exploration of the powers that be, the exploration in this episode of the oracles, they are leading us away from our understanding of Angel as being Buffy in the big city mm-hmm. to being something just much larger, much more ambitious. A much, a much grander scale. Yeah. And I find it interesting. I actually kind of like that we have such a clear division between the tone and perspective of both of these shows because mm-hmm. I think it illustrates, you know, very much the way in which we are all in our own little bubble universe that is created by <laughs> our own narrative, by by our experiences of the world as it exists. But sure. all of that is filtered through the way in which we tell our own story. So my universe and your universe are inherently different, even though we're in the same room, you know? Yeah, and there's something pleasing too about Buffy even in her role as Slayer Mm -hmm. still being a small town girl yeah I like that I like it too uh, that's going to be something that we're going to continue to keep an eye on. Yeah, it's, it's, there's very Much cool more stuff. With regard mm-hmm. to Angel, I guess season five, we're going to have to talk about cosmology in the Buffyverse. We're going to have to talk about theology in the oh, Buffyverse. Sure. We're going to have to talk about, yeah. you know, gods and demons and such like, but we'll get to that uh, when we hit season five in mm-hmm. Buffy. We're going to generally, though, be challenged in that regard much more by Angel. Yeah. And, and forced to integrate that. And partly, I think that's just a consequence of Buffy now being mature mm-hmm. not the character of the show the universe yes. I guess. Mm-hmm. now being mature we've dialed back some of our assertions about vampires and demons that yeah. we got from the first two seasons of buffy we've we've walked those back because we're allowing spaces for narrative to happen yeah we and for more vampires to be more complicated yeah so i i like that angel is picking up with mm-hmm. that understanding that the world is a difficult and complicated place and yes. there's good and evil on both sides mm-hmm. and and really expanding the universe from there it's it's the best kind of spin-off, I guess, uh-huh. from this kind of expanded text, you know, perspective. Yeah. It it does what a good spin-off should, mm-hmm. which is forge its own identity and look at the world from a very different perspective. Mm-hmm while maintaining a certain fundamental compatibility in the broadest strokes. In the broadest strokes. I I really like it. I like that they're different shows. I like that you get a different thing from Angel than you do from Buffy. Buffy. I think it's it's so much fun. I love it. And there's so much to look forward to. It's not NCIS, you know, et cetera. It's not the same thing in a different different location. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're entirely right. And that's that's the thing I'm looking forward to discussing most about Angel, particularly once we get to, you know, season three, season four. Mm -hmm. Once the, the world worlds of these shows are so fundamentally different once we have the big network switch too yes exactly and they'll deviate still further that's Mm -hmm. going to be a fascinating time to talk about these shows that i think is it for this week guys thank you so much for listening as we said we'll be back on monday with something blue it's gonna be a lot of fun can't (laughs) wait to get to that and of course to get to hero next week i know really if perhaps not the best episode of angel Definitely the most promising episode of Angel. I think that if you're watching Angel for the first time, it's very easy to see I Will Remember You as a vestige of what Angel was when he was on Buffy. Mm -hmm. It's a Buffy episode in different clothing. Hero is absolutely an Angel episode, and it marks great things to come. Yeah. So there's a lot of fun discussion awaiting us, guys. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you on Monday. Grr. Arg.